Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Um, I didn't play that song because I don't have, because I was trying to kill some time because I don't have much to say today. There is power in thanksgiving. And um, our culture doesn't just skip over the holiday called Thanksgiving. Have you noticed that? You know, when we, I'm 47 now, when I was young, I'm still young. Thank you for saying that. That's not true, but um, I'm younger than you. I'll always be younger than you, babe. Um, Life was a lot slower, right? Um, And it seems like just in the busyness of life, we know that this holiday called Thanksgiving just kind of seems to be almost really skipped over in our culture and kind of a means to an end to get to Christmas and buying stuff and, you know, all that good stuff. And we love celebrating Christmas in the Binion household. Don't get it twisted. We love it. But I do feel like this is um, a prophetic picture of what's happened in our culture, that our culture has become ungrateful and entitled. (laughs) I don't think that's um, a surprise to any of us to hear that. Our culture skips not just the holiday, but the act of Thanksgiving almost entirely. So today, um, we're going to take a look at Scripture and see that this isn't anything new. Ungratefulness, ingratitude really isn't anything new. It's actually been going on since the exodus of God's people in the Old Testament. Um, We're going to look at, of course, we know Thanksgiving is the way that we enter the presence of God. All throughout the Psalms, we're told to give praise and thanks to the Lord. We know this is the way we come to him. Psalm 100 verses 4 and 5 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So we know that we come, that the message translation says, enter with the password, thank you. So we know this is the proper way to come to the Lord. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. Um, We're familiar with the concept of thanksgiving as giving the Lord praise through song and coming to him rightly. But thanksgiving is even deeper than that. Did you know that? Thanksgiving is remembering God. When we have become ungrateful, that means we have forgotten God. And did you know that God takes issue with his people forgetting him? He actually equates forgetting him with idolatry. And we're going to dig into that today in scripture. When God established his covenant with his people Israel after the exodus, when he brought them out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, split the waters. He said, of course, they went to Mount Sinai, made a covenant with his people, and the law was established. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, 
God says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. He made a covenant with Abraham, right? And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. So in covenantal terms, to forget is to reject their Lord and deliverer, forsaking their covenant with God. While remembering leads to worship and thanksgiving, forgetting leads to the breaking of the covenant. Somebody say, Thanksgiving is a big deal. So Thanksgiving remains a theme throughout scripture. Not only do we see it all throughout the Psalms and in the establishment of the Tabernacle of David as a way we approach and worship God, we see it in the New Testament as well. And as I began to dig into this theme of Thanksgiving these last couple of weeks to prepare for this message today, I discovered um, that Thanksgiving is a major theme of the Apostle Paul's letters to the churches in the New Testament. In my study, I found a book by a a theologian named David W. Powell entitled Thanksgiving, an investigation of a Pauline theme. Pauline meaning of Paul. So this is an investigation of Thanksgiving throughout Paul's letters. So we don't have time today to dive into The Apostle Paul, who he was, most of us probably in this room know that he was the apostle who was knocked off his donkey by the Lord. He didn't walk with Jesus in the flesh, but he did encounter him in the spirit and for three years um, received revelation directly from Jesus um, after he was um, saved and when he came to know to know the Messiah. So um, Paul was called specifically to the Gentiles to spread the gospel all over Asia Minor, the Mediterranean, and finally to Rome to plant churches. Paul was an expert in Jewish law. He had studied under the best before his conversion. Paul was a Roman citizen because of where he was born. So because he was a Roman citizen, that means he could travel freely, um, and that was a big deal. And Paul was a Greek thinker because of where he grew up, the Greek language uh, and and the Hellenization, which was the Greek culture that was um, all over the region. Um, Paul grew up, he he understood Greek, uh, Greek thinking. And so God would use all of these things in Paul's apostleship. So Paul wrote letters to the churches that he pastored. And usually he was writing them from prison because of the persecution he endured while spreading the gospel. Paul wrote the book of Galatians, Thessalonians, Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, Titus, Timothy. And although it's debated, most scholars believe he wrote the book of Hebrews as well. So in all of these books we see uh, Paul continually give a call to thanksgiving. Be thankful is a recurring plea of the Apostle Paul. The Greek verb, eucharistio, I'm sure I said it wrong, but 
Eucharistio means to thank or to be thankful, and it appears 62 times in the New Testament. 62 times. More than three quarters of these occurrences appear in Paul's letters. More significant is the fact that only in Paul's writings does one find a call to be thankful. None of the other New Testament authors have such a sustained emphasis on thanksgiving. So I feel like it's, we, we really need to look at this, right? Paul is not concerned with teaching his church's proper etiquette. It's not like, you know, when we're raising our kids and we, now what do you say? <laughs> Although good manners are really important. But he wasn't concerned with teaching his church's proper etiquette. It is the proper response to the saving acts of God that is at the center of both Paul's theology and his ethics. Thanksgiving in Paul is an act of worship. It's not focused primarily on the benefits received. It's not focused primarily on the blessed condition of a person. Instead, it is God-centeredness. God-centeredness. God is the center of thanksgiving. So let's read a few of these scriptures from Paul. We're going to start with Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love this because this means every aspect of my life, everything I do in word or deed can be an act of thanksgiving and praise to God. That means even as I serve, get to serve my family this week and cook and prepare a meal for them, I can do it for them as unto the Lord. Yes. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I love this one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this is a promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful promise. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And this is the last one I'm going to read. First, this is not the last scripture. I've got a lot more scripture, y'all. We're going to read the Bible today. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. 
Y'all ready for this one? Rejoice, let's say it together. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. Sorry, we had a little different version up here. Will of God, my, my ESV on my laptop says, will of God in Christ Jesus, there it is, for you. Wow, this is the will of God for us to give thanks in all circumstances. If you're wondering what the will of God is for your life, you can start by, by giving thanks. <laughs> so not only did Paul instruct his churches to be thankful to God, but he often expressed his thankfulness for the people of God in the opening of his letters. You'll read this in his letters. He was thankful for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was thankful for their love for all the saints. He was thankful for their steadfastness, especially in trial. He was thankful for their spiritual gifts. He was thankful for their partnership in the gospel. And he was thankful for their history and mutual affection. The apostle Paul practiced what he preached. <laughs> he gave thanks to God and he, he was so thankful for the people of God. And he would encourage them and admonish them. But also in Paul's call to thanksgiving, he also warns about ingratitude or being ungrateful. So when thanksgiving is understood as God-centeredness, the failure to offer thanks reflects a refusal to acknowledge God as the sovereign Lord and creator. And we see in the Old Testament that the failure to give thanks for what God had done for his people is rooted in the Exodus story. God's deliverance of his people from Egypt forms the foundation of the history of the covenant people. In the Exodus, God's sovereignty and power were revealed. Would you say amen to that? In response, the people of God were called to remember God and his mighty deeds. However, immediately after the Sinai covenant was established, Israel started to forget her God. In the Exodus narrative, this is symbolized by the constant murmuring of God's people. We're going to go to Exodus. We're not going to put these scriptures on the screen. I'm just going to give you a brief overview here. In Exodus chapters 15 through 17, one finds a description of the murmuring of the people against the God who delivered them from Egypt. Immediately after the song of Moses... Uh, in which God was honored as Israel's savior, Moses offers up praise. The people then displayed their distrust of their deliverer when they were not able to find water. Exodus 15, 24. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? This question begins a pattern where God's guidance and his servant Moses is doubted. In Exodus 17, the issue of the lack of drinking water reappears when the people quarreled with Moses. In this episode, the murmuring is understood as directed against the Lord. It says the Israelites quarreled and they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? 
The root of this murmuring is now made clear. The murmuring reflects the people's distrust of the presence and the power of God. And I'm not standing up here today preaching this going, I've never done that before. I think all of us sitting in this room can remember times when we felt, where are you, Lord? And we murmured and complained. I was convicted of that as I was reading this account. In the account of the provision of manna and quail in Exodus 16, the power of the Lord is also directly questioned by the whole community of Israel. In the version of this story in Numbers 11, the grumbling is explicitly identified as a rejection of their God. This murmuring becomes a defining characteristic of Israel's response to God and his servants. The pinnacle of this distrust came when they reacted to the report of the spies in Numbers 13. Because of their murmuring, punishment was now issued against those who failed to honor God as their sovereign Lord. And in Numbers chapter 14, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with the plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Their complaint reflects their rejection of all that God had done for them. Moses interceded for the people and his intercession failed to stop God from punishing Israel. The lives of the people were spared, but they would no longer be able to see the promised land. Do you remember that? They had to stay in the desert. That generation died and the next generation entered the promised land. In Psalm 106... I'm going to put this on the screen for you. You can find it in your Bibles if you want or on your app, or you can read it along with us here. Psalm 106, starting at verse 7. This is a recounting of this story in the book of Psalms. It says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. Verse 19 says, they made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. <laughs> they forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. 
Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Is anyone glad in the room that someone was praying for you? (laughs) Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured, there's that word again. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. So in scripture, we see there is no neutral ground between worshiping the one true God and following other false gods. It is one or the other. To forget God and his mighty deeds is to claim allegiance to other powers. In Jeremiah 13, 25, the accusations against the people are presented precisely in terms of forgetting and idolatry. God said, you have forgotten me and trusted in false gods. Throughout the discussions of Israel's forgetting and acts of idolatry, the unfailing love and faithfulness of God is constantly emphasized. In Psalm 106, where we were just reading, the recitation of Israel's evil deeds ends with a note of hope and comfort. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Psalm 106, verse 43 says, Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So although Israel had forgotten her deliverer, God had not forgotten his people. God did not forget his people. (laughs) This refrain reappears in various Psalms that note Israel's failure. Both the faithless acts of the people of God and the nature of God as a gracious Covenant partner became ingrained in the life of Israel. Israel sinned against God by not remembering his mighty acts. And so back to Apostle Paul and his letters to the church. In in the Apostle Paul's letters, he calls his churches to learn from Israel's past. I know sometimes we don't want to look back. It is important that we share with our children, our grandchildren, this generation coming up, what God has done. So we're going to take a look um, at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul begins by referencing the wilderness experience of Israel. Okay, so now we're in the New Testament. Jesus came, he died, he resurrected, he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit, the church has been born. The Apostle Paul is, um, you know, has, has, is a missionary that started churches, and now this is part of his letter to the Corinthian church. We're going to start 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Y'all ready? He said... For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. 
For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So the lesson that the, that the Corinthians were to learn from the wilderness experience of Israel was to be faithful to the one and true God. Both idolatry and murmuring point to Israel's failure to remember her God and his powerful deeds. Instead of giving him glory, they became the ungrateful people. Paul did not want his churches to forget what Christ had done for them in his death and resurrection. So he's saying, because he's seeing these things happening in the Corinthian church, and he's saying, remember what happened to the Israelites you're forgetting what Christ has done. You're, for, you're, you're not remembering God. You're not, God is not the center in your heart. So using the history of Israel, Paul is warning us not to be an ungrateful people. Because to be ungrateful is not simply a state of harmless absent-mindedness. It is the failure to acknowledge God as the creator and Lord of all. As such, ingratitude led to a host of sins that plagued the Corinthian church. Uh, Martin Luther, who's the father of the Protestant church, said that ingratitude really is the root of all evil. As we take a look, we're going we're gonna to look at Romans chapter 1, and we'll see that Martin Luther was right. <laughs> you know, Martin Luther studied the book of Romans and to, to, to know that we are saved by faith. We're justified by faith, not by works. So Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. And I've read this scripture here before. A couple years ago, I, I spoke on Thanksgiving, and we talked about, um, about this chapter. We're going to read it again. Starting at verse 18, chapter, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This has all stemmed from their inability to give thanks and glory and honor to God. They didn't see him rightly. They didn't put him, that God wasn't at the center. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. They are creating new ways to sin. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That is very politically incorrect in these days to read any of that. The failure to give glory and offer thanksgiving to God amounts to idolatry. I'm going to say that again. The failure to give glory and thanksgiving to God amounts to idolatry. Related to that is the understanding that ingratitude is one of the distinguishing marks of non-believers. Which means that we, believers, Christians, are to be marked by thanksgiving. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see another list of vices or sins when God is removed from the center of one's heart and mind. This is the Apostle Paul writing again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
Here it is, ungrateful. That's included in this list. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So the implicit call for believers to be lovers of God recalls the central commandment and the covenantal relationship found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So understood in covenantal, covenantal terms, to love God is to be faithful to him and him alone. I'm going to quote Martin Luther again. Martin Luther said, Only when God's gracious acts are remembered can the love of God be nurtured in a life of worship. This is a quote from him. He said, Gratitude keeps the love for God and thus holds the heart directed toward him because it is thereby also illumined. The heart is illumined when it's, when it's turned toward him. It worships only the true God, and to this worship there soon attaches itself the whole chorus of virtues. The Apostle Paul's call to thanksgiving centers on the submission of one's will in the presence of the Lord of all. It is really to put him at the center. Complete surrender. We are called to remember the cross and the resurrection, and we're going to do that in a few moments. We are called to submit to Christ's lordship in our present living. So we remember the past we remember what he's done, his, cross, the, the, his death, his resurrection, all the things he has done for us personally, our personal testimony. And then in the present, we submit, we continually submit our lives to his lordship. And then it doesn't end there. We are called to be faithful until he returns. So this thankfulness is also this idea that I, I'm not just thankful for what he has done, what he's doing presently. I am also thankful for what he will do. And, and I'm not talking about, of course, just the miracles that he will do in our lives, the things that we're praying for, promises that we're standing on. But I'm talking about the return of Jesus Christ. He is returning for his bride and we will be with him forever. So, so we're called to thank him for what he has done, what he's doing in the present, and submit our lives to him, and what he will do. Okay, so I told you that I'm a little bit of your, your Thanksgiving DJ today. Um, I, last night, um, hang on one sec. Last night I was um, just finishing up my prep for this and just really praying, and again, I, I was finding songs that would just... Um, songs of thanksgiving, th songs of uh, praise. And so I had this Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir album on and I had forgotten um, that I was honored to, uh, to record a song with them on this album. 
back in 2018. So much has happened since 2018. This, I recorded this song before we had planted Dwell Church, before we recorded our Dwell live worship album. And the song is called I Am Reminded. And I couldn't even remember the lyrics. I couldn't even tell you the melody. Like, because I recorded it and then we sang it with them a couple times and then I've never sung it again. And as I played, and you know, this is not self-serving, listening to myself. <laughs> um, I'm going to play it for you. As I listened to the lyrics of this song, I just began to weep as I was just alone with the Lord. Remembering, because I want to provide a moment here. We're going we're gonna to play the song loud like we did this last one. I know this is different. This is, you know, most churches don't do this, but we're dual church, so we do this. Um, the lyrics are actually going to be on the screen. So if you, as you're listening and as you, if you want to sing along, I believe this is um, just going to cause you, I just want you to think about all that God has done for you personally. As we just um, listen to this song, worship to this song together, and then we're going to receive communion. Um, the musicians can probably go ahead and come up. And after we play this song, we're just going to go right into our time of communion. But you can go ahead, Daryl. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.